Well, good morning. Welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is James Foster. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Revelation 14 and 15. Uh, that's going to be on page 1036 if you get one of the Bibles that we have in the rows there. Uh, 1036 is the page that that'll be on. Um, and we are continuing this series, The Woman, the Dragon, and the Beasts. And uh, it's going to be a good one today. It's going to be uh, a little bit of a doozy, so I'm excited about uh, jumping into this text with y'all today. Uh, we have a podcast, so if there are like questions and you're like, I don't know about that, James, post your questions. Uh, Chris and Joseph will answer them tomorrow. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll join with them. Uh, Chris, Joseph, Katie, and I'll be there, and we'll, we'll answer some of these questions. Uh, so please post them. Uh, share your questions that you have. We would be happy to answer those. Uh, and on a sermon like, a text like Revelation 14, uh, it's one that you might want to jump in even more. Uh, if you haven't sent a question in yet, this is a good one for you to, to jump in there. Uh, so we're talking about our returning king today, and we're talking about how to endure suffering well, how to uh, persevere well. And so for us to be able to do that, uh, we need to be able to endure suffering. So a lot of us uh, have experienced some suffering over this like pandemic thing going on over the past couple of years, right? There's been a lot of suffering that we've experienced. And some of us, we've experienced that suffering and we've done it really well. And sometimes uh, we don't do it so well. And, and so Recently, I had an experience of, of suffering that I didn't, didn't do very well at all. Uh, and so we were the middle car in a three-car pileup, so we had a little bit of an accident. Um, it was, everybody's fine, but my wife and my two kids were in the car with me. It was a, it was a little bit of a scary moment. We're on I-30, headed west. Uh, we're right at the overpass of 635 in Dallas, and so we're like stuck there. And uh, there's this accident, this suffering that we experience, uh, and we're the middle car in, in this three-car pileup. And, and so there's some, some difficulties that are ahead. Uh, first, it's just like getting to safety, right? So there's uh, a lot of cars just flying by. And so there, how do you get safe from that situation? Uh, and then after that, uh, we, we leave the accident. We get about an hour away, and it seems like everything's going to be okay. We're going to be able to drive uh, back. We were headed to a wedding. We decided not to go to the wedding, but to just head home uh, and we're glad that we did because we didn't get stuck in the middle of nowhere. Instead, we got stuck about five minutes from some old friends of ours that had moved away. Uh, and so we, we called them, we let them know, and then we got to stay with them. Uh, so then the next day, uh, it, was a, it was a Saturday night that this uh, had happened. Uh, so the next day was a Sunday. And so uh, we worked on trying to replace a radiator. Uh, and I'm not like mechanically gifted in that way. And so uh, for us to go and buy a radiator and all the places that could replace a radiator are closed and not doing anything on Sunday because they're good Christians, that's great. Uh, but I needed some help. And so we, we ended up doing it ourselves that day and it was uh, a big challenge. And then like we kind of finished most of it, but like we used all of our sunlight hours and then uh, the transmission lines were still leaking because we didn't secure those quite as well as we could have. So there was a lot of suffering there. And I would love to say, man, like, I just endured, and I was just, like, with it and just worshiping through all of that, but I wasn't, right? I, instead, I was, I was struggling because I had this frustration that, like, my comfort of that moment had left me. And so uh, if we are seeking comfort from the world, uh, we will not be able to endure suffering well. 
Uh, This ordeal, it happened on uh, October 9th, and it's been a continuous struggle since then. And so, like, um, since then, we got the radiator replaced. We take it to a shop here to, like, get an estimate with the insurance and everything. Um, I've spent, like, over seven hours on the phone with insurance over the past month. Uh, It's been difficult, right? And lots of suffering that's been right in my face. Uh, And then... Come to find out, like, that radiator that we replaced, it didn't really matter because the car was totaled. So it helped us to get back home, which was nice, uh, but the van ended up being totaled anyway, so that was really frustrating that that suffering felt like it was for nothing. Um, and, and so uh, then there's also, like, finding a, a, a van, a new van, when you have, like, a lot of very particular things that you're looking for. Like, that's, like, another five-plus hours of car shopping and then driving around, test driving cars and such, uh, just to end up with, we got a great van. We got a upgraded, like, 2014 instead of a 2010, um, which there was a lot of cool things that we got to experience this nice new van, but I, if I could trade the car shopping experience with you, I absolutely would in a second because it's suffering. Because there's like this car shortage that's happening. And so there's these prices that are way higher than they should be. And there's a lot of frustration that you experience there, a lot of suffering that you experience. And so you're going to suffer poorly if you're seeking acceptance from the world. If you're seeking like, I have to have your approval. Like I can't like maybe uh, work the deal as well as I want to. I can't, I I need acceptance for me to feel validated. I need acceptance for me to feel like uh, I'm good. And, like, when you only have one vehicle, all of a sudden you become needy. And you have to borrow, like, a, a car from, uh, I borrowed a car from Edric for a couple of days. I borrowed a car from Zach for a couple of days. I borrowed Zach's other car for a couple of days. There's, there's a lot of, like, neediness that I, I hate because I like acceptance and I don't like being a needy person. So if you're seeking acceptance, you're not going to be able to suffer well. And the third thing that we uh, can fail at is if we are uncomfortable with judgment. Um, so... In the whole process of the long conversations with the insurance people, there's this question that they ask. They say, okay, so whose fault was it? And of course it wasn't my fault, right? That, that, that's not even an option. I was like, well, if, if I'm honest, it's the guy who stopped at the front of the pile that didn't actually get hit but caused this whole thing there at fault. And they're like, that's not an option. Who do you think was at fault? And so I was like, okay, uh, well, I mean, I think I, I hit the guy, so I'm probably responsible for that part. But the guy who hit, uh, hit us, like, I barely hit that guy in front of me, but they, he just really slammed into the back of our car. So he's really, like, the most at fault. Um, and so, like, this, this reality of, like, there is a judgment that's going to come. There is a person that's going to have to pay, uh, an insurance company that's going to have to pay more. Uh, and so figuring out who's at fault is, is an important thing that can make us really uncomfortable. And so uh, what does all this have to do with Revelation? Well, Revelation is written to a people of God who are in the midst of suffering. Uh, they're, they're in suffering that's way worse than the suffering that I experienced. They're in the, the great tribulation, not just like the tribulation, but the great tribulation. So there'll be the rapture, and then there'll be the tribulation. Uh, and in the tribulation, there'll be like the last three and a half years, the great tribulation will be really, really extra difficult. Uh, that's when like the crazy things like the beast is calling everyone to worship them, calling them to have the mark on their hand or their forehead for them to be able to buy or sell. There's all sorts of stuff that's happening where things are getting more and more polarized and there's more and more suffering happening. And so this is a text that's talking about how they can endure well through this suffering, but we can also look at it as people before that time that are uh, 
going to suffer as well, and we can learn how to suffer well through uh, this text. And so that's the hope that we would uh, glean some wisdom as we look at this dark future time, uh, that, that we would see how we can suffer well. And so uh, if you would, would you pray with me before we jump into the text? Uh, and, and let's ask God to meet us here uh, this morning. God, we need you. This is all about you. You are worthy of all of our worship and worthy of all of our praise, and apart from you, we can do nothing. Uh, your word is powerful. Your word is uh, able to teach us, able to instruct us, able to correct us, able to train us for godliness. Your word is so beautiful. And I pray that, that through a fallen, broken man, you would be able to uh, use me to articulate the, the goodness of you, the goodness of your word, uh, the goodness of who you are, uh, and that you'd help us to, to focus on you. Would you be uh, the focal point this morning? So uh, anything that's distracting in this room, anything that's distracting that I'm doing, I'm asking that you minimize that, that you'd help us to focus on you and your word, that we'd be transformed by it so that we could be conformed to the image of your perfect son, Jesus. Lord, we're desperate to see you work this morning. Use this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 14. Um, we're jumping in with verse 1 here, and it says, oh my goodness. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of thunder. So, this is like um, a vision within a vision, like Inception Revelation style, okay? So we're looking forward, and as we're looking forward, John has a vision within this vision that's looking forward to this thing that's also going to happen in the future. This isn't happening right now in this point in Revelation, but what he's talking about is when Jesus returns, what, what this will be. And that's where the saints, the 144,000, the 12,000 from 12 different tribes of Israel are gathered with the Lamb. And who's the Lamb? Jesus, great. Uh, they had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And the, last week, Chris talked about the mark of the beast, it, uh, how the beast would cause all to be marked on their right hand or the forehead with the mark of the beast. God's people instead are marked with the lamb's, the Lord's name. The father's name is written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard... Where, where, where? The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they're singing a new song. They're singing this great song. And it's amazing. It's so amazing that he can't tell us what it is. Uh, and this is like, um, I'm probably going to miss a lot of you with this reference, but uh, Tenacious D has, has this great song. Uh, tribute, right? It's not the greatest song in the world. It's just a tribute because he couldn't remember the greatest song in the world. So he just writes a song about it that's called Tribute. And so Tribute is a, is a phenomenal song, but they couldn't remember the greatest song in the world. Now this is John's tribute, the OG tribute. Uh, he, they were singing a new song before the elders, before the living creatures, but nobody could learn that song. Therefore, he could not remember the greatest song in the world because uh, he wasn't part of the 144,000. Now, 
Some Amil people would say 144,000. That's just a number that represents completeness. We're in that. Now, if John was part of that, because he would absolutely be part of that, he would be able to remember the song, right? Whoa. Just saying. We'll, move, we'll leave it there. All right. So they couldn't, he couldn't learn the song. Verse 4. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Also another clue that it's not us, they are virgins. Uh, it is these who follow the Lamb. So who, who are these people? They're following the Lamb wherever he goes. Wherever he is, they are. They're following him closely. They're pure. They're first fruits of all, they're first fruits for God. They're uh, the Jewish evangelists that are sharing the hope of the gospel in this time of the great tribulation, in this time of the tribulation. Um, they're first fruits of God. They're blameless. There's like this picture of like an even more depraved world that's happening that's right in front of them. Um, and instead, they are uh, blameless. They're uh, following Jesus. So where the world is even more polarized, the bad is even worse. The good is even better, and they're standing out. Uh, and what we see here is this, that God's people value righteousness over worldly pleasure. God's people value righteousness over worldly pleasure. When we're caught up in sin, uh, we're, we're prone to put our hope in the wrong place. We're prone to hope in worldly pleasure instead of uh, righteousness, instead of our God. We tend to run right to the edge of sin, and then we say, how far can I go without sinning? Instead of saying, how close can I be to my God? How much can I be conformed to him and what he desires for me? How closely can I live according to his ways? And, and usually when we're doing this, it's because we're believing some lie for the, from the enemy that this other thing is going to satisfy me more than my God. And so we have to run from that. We have to run to God. And uh, just a pro tip on this, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you're more likely to run to the edge or even to cross that edge over into sin. Um, and so be more alert, be more on guard as you value righteousness more than worldly pleasure. Uh, last night I'm writing uh, some of my notes into uh, my message. I'm, I'm kind of trying to finalize some thoughts. I take a break. I open up Facebook. The first article that pops up is about a, a sex scene in this new movie, that, how it's divided the, the different people. And they're like, these people have it. These people like it. These people don't. And I'm like, why, why is the first thing I'm seeing as I open this uh, browser about a sex scene? And then uh, right underneath it is like, uh, this celebrity posted a naked photo, and it's a vibe. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? Like, this, this sex culture is right in my face. As soon as I open uh, up a Facebook browser to, like, try to veg for a second, I'm like, no, I, I need to turn that off, turn the other way. Uh, run towards God, seek out uh, what he would have for me. And, and I'm not saying, okay, you can't look at Facebook, but I'm saying uh, there is this uh, irreverence, impurity, sex culture that gets thrown in our face, and we have to be aware of what that does uh, and the eternality that er we have everything that we do, we can invest in uh, ourselves and our kingdom here. We can invest in God and his kingdom. And, and I know that, like, I was bought with a price, and I want to love righteousness. I want to value righteousness more than any sort of worldly pleasure, more than any sort of quick fix that that might uh, give. I need to run from that stuff. And uh, so, so with that, are you hoping in worldly pleasure? Are you hoping in our good and gracious God? Like, is your hope set in winning your fantasy football league? 
Is it set on uh, a number on a scale? Is it set on how many likes or views you get on a post you make? Is it set on some sort of affirmation from man, a promotion? Or is it set on your God and living for him? Because if, if this world is all that you have, then the pain and suffering of this life will undo you. There's no way that you can walk and live this life. If, if, you, if all you've got is this, then you are going to be crushed when it falls apart. And if, but if we maintain our hope in the eternal triumph of our God, then we're going to be able to endure suffering well. And that's my hope for us, church. So let's not put our hope in flimsy things, but let's put our hope in our God. Let's value him. Let's live for him. Amen? Okay, so the first thing we saw is that we should value righteousness over worldly pleasure. What's the second thing that we should see? Uh, and the second thing that we'll see is we'll see like three angels proclaim some, thing, the, some things. The first angel is going to proclaim something. That's where our second uh, value thing that we're going to take a look at is at. And it's in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. There's an angel that's going to be partnering with us, partnering with uh, saints in the future to proclaim an eternal gospel. To who? To every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. Uh, our, our church is passionate about reaching everybody with the gospel. Every man, woman, and child, we, we long that every man, woman, and child in the greater Austin would hear the gospel from the lips of someone in our church. We want to see that happen because we know that we have the hope of the world. The gospel is not like a bunch of rules or things that you should do to obey and like curry God's favor, but the, the gospel is that we deserve hell. And even in the face of us deserving hell because we're sinful people, God made a way for us to be saved. He made a way for us to be righteous. He made a way for Jesus to take our place, our judgment, and for us to walk free, for us to be forgiven, for us to be adopted into the family of God. And so we have this great hope we want to bring to every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. And we get to do that to an extent here. Right, like we have an evangelism team that goes out. We we can see a lot of nations, a lot of people coming here. But also, we send missionaries across the world. We send, we do mission trips because we desire for every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people to hear this good news of the gospel. This is where our, all of our hope is in this gospel proclamation. And I'm excited for the day that we'll get a little angel bringing it with us. Right, Some angel proclaiming all the things with us, that this good news of the gospel. Uh, he says, fear God and give him glory. There's this, uh, this fear of God, that, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-righteous, and that we are sinners. And so if we're rebelling against him, there's like a, a reverent fear that we should have for God, right? We, we, should, we should all fear God regardless. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's where we start. That's how we live our lives in a way that would honor him. That's how we worship him. It starts with us fearing him. And so the, this angel is proclaiming to fear God, give him glory, worship him. 
He made heaven. He's our creator. He made earth. He made the sea and the springs of the water. The second thing that we see is that God's people value gospel proclamation over comfort. God's people value gospel proclamation over comfort. Uh, when, when we're caught up in sin, we're less likely to share the hope that we have in Christ, right? Like, because we're so ashamed because of the sin that we have that's clinging so closely to us. We're, we're caught up in that, right? When we're suffering, we're less likely to share that hope that we have because of all the suffering that, that's right in front of us. We get frustrated, we get messed up, and we, we don't share that hope that we have. And maybe it's the comfort that we value of, of not being that weird Christian, of not having that friction, of uh, the familiarity of your relationships. You want to keep them the way they are, so you don't want to mess it up by sharing the gospel and saying, hey, uh, you're a sinner, and you know what that means. And, and, and we have trouble with this because the world's feeding us a steady diet of sin's not that bad. Come on. Let's be more inclusive. You can't know truth. And in saying you can't know truth, they claim that they have that very truth that you can't know, right? And so there's this, this problem that we have this good news, this gospel that we are to proclaim. And as the world says, who are you to judge? How could you be so closed-minded? No one can know this truth. Love is about acceptance. Come on. We have this, this gospel to share. Um, and, and as I was reflecting on like different things that happened with... Um, insurance and car hassles. I got like bad information from our insurance about like going and getting a, um, <clears throat> the title transfer. Uh, we went to the Williamson County instead of Travis County. And if you know anything about going to Travis County for anything, it's going to be awful. The worst experience ever because there's so many people that have moved here and they haven't bothered to hire anybody else to work for them. And so there's a broken system that's, that's frustrating. And so uh, I went through a drive through that was two and a half hours long to get the uh, temp tag for my car that was totaled. So instead of getting like the new temp tag for the new vehicle, we got a temp tag for the car that was totaled. Uh, and I didn't realize it until I'd gotten home. And so I was so frustrated. So I went back up there and I, I didn't go through the drive through again because I didn't have another two and a half hours to sit in the line. And so I just walked in, seemed like it was fine. Uh, they said, hey, the reason that we made this mistake was because uh, your insurance is still for your car that you had that was totaled. Uh, you need to update it to be the new van. And like the insurance was like, no, they can do it. You just have to show them your, uh, all the files you have. Uh, and so I showed them, but they wouldn't do it. So then they were like, call your insurance and then come back in and we'll, we'll take care of it. So I go out to my car, I call my insurance, I take about 20 minutes to get all that taken care of. It's like a million questions about like, what do you do with your car and all your intentions and such. And it's this super long, frustrating process again. And then as I'm walking back into the office, they're like, you can't come in. You don't have an appointment. And I was like, the lady I just talked to told me to go to my car, to make this phone call, and then to come back in here. I've been here for three hours at this point, and I can't leave without it. I'm sorry. Uh, and, like, there's a lot, like, she's, like, pop, pops her head in the door and then, like, comes out, and she's, like, they don't recognize you. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, like, I was so mad. Like, it takes a lot for me to get visibly angry and frustrated, and I was there. Uh, because I felt like I was being cheated. I felt like I'd, I was been wasting all of my time for this broken system, and we had already tried to do the right thing in the wrong county because I don't know why we thought it was in Williamson County. There was, it's, it's not worth explaining. But we'd wasted all this time, and basically I'm like, listen, 
I talked to the lady. She told me to go to my car and do this and then to come back in. I'm just doing what she said. And she's like, well, I can't let you in without an appointment. I was like, I have an appointment. It's for November 30th. That was as soon as that you would let us have anything. And, and like, I think she senses like my frustration and that I'm not going anywhere. And she looks in again and then she says, uh, go get a mask and come, come in or whatever. Uh, and so I get it all taken care of. And I'm like, as I'm like getting it resolved there, I, of course, I tried to just get the whole title transfer done there too, but it, di- it didn't work out because I didn't have an appointment. Uh, as I'm working through that there, I'm coming out and I'm like, like something's like pricking in me like, hey, pastor, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, evangelist, what are you doing? You're so frustrated and you're so fixated on trying to restore your comfort that you're missing this person that's right in front of you that probably gets... Um, mistreated all day because maybe some of that is deserved because of the situation there. But I'm not trying to say that right now. I'm trying to say there's this person that's made in the image of God that's getting uh, mistreated regularly and you can love them and be different or you can be like everyone else. And I was worse than everyone else because I threw a fit and I got what I wanted. And so there's this, this frustration that we can get so fixed on reestablishing our own comfort that we miss the opportunities right in front of us to proclaim the gospel, the only hope that we have. Okay, so we've looked at two things that we should value and two things that we shouldn't so far. Uh, we're about to get into a part of the text that uh, is, makes me a little nervous. Uh, makes me nervous, and we're just going to go there. This is like hardest text I've ever preached. No worries. Uh, we're we're going to get into some, some judgment, some big punishment stuff, some, some really graphic pictures of this judgment that's coming in the future for these people that worship the beast. Um, and, and what we're going to look at is this, this other great hope that we can have. And this other great hope that we can have is this, that God is just. That God is going to reestablish justice. He's going to establish justice by judging the wicked. He's going to end sin in a big way, and he's not doing it in this chapter, but there's like a picture of what that will look like in the future that we're about to look at. All right, here we go. Verse 8. Second angel says this, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine and passion of her sexual immorality. Fallen is Babylon the great. This represents the capital city of the kingdom of man, the center of human rebellion. You know, the tower of Babel, this is where it started. We want to make a name for ourselves. Let's do this here. Uh, Babylon is this huge place uh, that's basically just a picture of uh, rebellion. And it's not going to last forever. It's going to fall. That's a, there's some hope there. Verse 9, and another angel, the third angel says this uh, with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark with, on its forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The third message is this, that beast worshipers will be judged. So they rebelled against God. They've taken the mark of the beast, and they are rebel- they're in active rebellion against God. They're also going to drink the wine of God's wrath. This eternal wrath of God against those who worship the beast. And this is good news for us because uh, if God never judged sin and evil and injustice, 
in the world, what hope would we have that sin and evil and injustice would ever end? So that, that's where there's, a, there's some hope here. Verse 11 and 12, this is like big gulp moment right here. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So verse 11 is, is the challenging one, if you didn't pick, pick that up. So the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There's this wrath, this pain that they're going to experience forever and ever. And you might say, James, like, oh, man, I didn't know this was that kind of church. Like, you guys take sin seriously. Like, come, the world is like, come on, God's not real. Sin's not real. Like, hell's not, hell's not a real thing. Come on. That's not the message of the Bible. God is real. Sin is real, and it's devastating in its effects. And hell is real. Hell is eternal. And what happens here is that they have no rest because they, they get what they want. They get no God. Yeah. And God is our rest. And so because they, they want a life with no God, they get that. And day and night they, wor- they worship the beast, uh, and, and they have no rest, and there's this torment coming up. And what this leads to is this place of, uh, here's a call for endurance of the saints. For us, we, we are called to endure all the more, to persevere all the more, to suffer well all the more, because we have a great hope. And when I read verses like this, it makes me sick to my stomach, because I have loved ones that are on the wrong side of that right now. I have dear friends that are on the wrong side of that right now. I have neighbors that are on the wrong side of that right now, and desperately I want them to hear the hope that I have in Jesus. And so this text is hard because it's, it's like getting what they want, right? It's, it, and and what, what do I mean with that? Well, there, so there's two things that, that help me a lot with the, the wrath of God pastors. One is that um, like God is wrathful like this because God is love. And what do I mean by that? I, that, like, the things that will bring out the most wrath in me is, like, some sort of harm coming upon the people that I love. So, like, I'm, I'm looking around the room. I see some beautiful children. I see a lot of amazing parents. If I want to see any sort of wrath in you, if there was anybody that was coming at your children and seeking to do them harm, that will elicit that wrathful response, that righteous wrath towards that sin, because of how much you love your kids. So there's this wrath that comes because God is ultimately perfect in love. And the second thing is that as the Bible is speaking of this wrath of God, it, it speaks of it in the context of like getting what you want. And so as you like harden your heart and you turn from God and you run away, uh, there is this judgment that comes. So like John 3.16 is a famous passage also written by Revelation writer John. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he goes on and he talks about how whoever does not believe in the son is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus came into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so this, this wrath towards the worshipers of the beast comes because they're getting 
what they want. They're getting uh, uh, an existence without the presence of God, which is a fearful place to be. All right, verse 13. We've still got some more hard stuff in front of us. Here we go. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is the second of seven uh, Beatitudes in Revelation. Does anybody remember the first one? Revelation 1.3, we talked about it like almost a year ago now. Uh, it said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So we're blessed as we're reading and studying uh, challenging passages in the, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and <clears throat> we're blessed, those who die in the Lord from this point on are blessed as well uh, because they, their labors will follow them, their deeds follow them. They may rest from their labors. They've got this peace if they're in the Lord. Verse 14, Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Guy seated on a cloud, uh, he's like a son of man. Anybody know who this guy might be? Jesus, good, okay. He has a golden crown on his head, a sharp sickle in his hand, like long wooden staff, circular blade, super sharp, used for harvesting things. He's got the sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So Jesus is being instructed by this angel to take that sickle, put it in, and reap, uh, for the hour has come, and the earth, the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So it's time for Jesus to separate out uh, the wheat from the tear, the goats from the sheep. It's time for that to happen. And we see that in uh, the second part of 16. Uh, so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then there's a second sickle action going on here, uh, where the angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar, the angel who had authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle. And he said, basically the same thing, put in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine from, of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel, so he's saying, put in your sickle, it's time to harvest this as well. The grapes are ripe, it's time uh, to, to bring this about. And what, what's going to happen with it? Remember, this is an inception, vision within a vision, talking about a future thing that's going to happen. The angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, so <clears throat> this second judgment, this second harvest that's happening is taking the grapes, putting them into the uh, great winepress of the wrath of God. Okay? Big judgment time. Uh, what would happen is you'd get in the wine press, you'd trodden on it, and then juice would come out, make a nice uh, flowing little bit of wine that you could uh, have later on. What's happening here is the unrighteous are being metaphorically tossed into this great wine press of the wrath of God, and it's creating a not a wine river, but a blood river uh, that's up to a horse's bridle, so that'd be about four feet 
uh, give or take a couple of hands, depending on how many hands high the horse would be. Uh, And there's this four-foot-tall river that then is uh, as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 cities, so about 184 miles. So it's pretty long. It would almost get you to Dallas from Austin to Dallas. Uh, It would get you a little bit past Houston from Austin to Houston, uh, depending on your route. Uh, So it's a pretty long river, pretty substantial river. And it's this picture that God has been patient with his enemies for a long time. But these enemies gather at this battle of Armageddon, and it's like all of the beast has assembled all of the people that are against God, and they've they've come, and they're, they're coming for this battle of Armageddon. They're coming against the king. And so the picture of what this actually is is also... Uh, that God's wrath is being poured out against like literal enemies coming towards him, uh, which might help a little bit with the Blood River picture. But what all of this is to say is that God's people value justice over sin. When we're, when we're caught up in sin, we're often even more uncomfortable with God's justice. Uh, we, we tend to have like this low view of God and this low view of sin and this low view of hell this low view of judgment, but like the Bible has a high view of God, like he's holy and perfect and righteous and he rules over all and he's all powerful. And like this high view of sin, like it's terrible and it brings destruction. And then like this high view of judgment, like it is real and it's coming against those who reject Jesus. It's coming against those who are against God. And like theologically, uh, this is a challenging bit to, ex- to, to chew on, right? That like hell is real and judgment is real for those who oppose God. Because like, like I said a second ago, there, there are people that I love on the wrong side of this thing. So like there's a part of my heart that's like, oh, please don't let that be true. I'm like, ultimately, I, it's, it's yours, God. And I have to trust that you're perfectly just and perfectly righteous and you know better than me. And so even if I don't fully wrap my mind around it, I can trust in you, God. And so uh, this isn't a thing we can sweep under the rug like Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And like the thing I think that I struggle with the most is like, like I deserve to be in that category, right? Like, like I can easily see how like one or two events in my life are different and I'm on the wrong side of this as well. Because I, I fully deserve punishment. I fully deserve hell. But God is gracious. And Jesus made a way to say, hey, you don't have to take this punishment. I'm going to take this punishment for you if you place your faith in me. And so there's this great news of the gospel that as, as we read this stuff, uh, we can all the more be motivated to share the hope that we have, be motivated to worship our God, uh, be motivated to share this hope that, uh, that every right will be made wrong, sin, death, and evil will exist no more, that God is just and he's going to end these things. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at chapter 15, and it's going to be kind of like uh, the next, next week, uh, Wells Branch Community Church. Here's what we're going to see. Uh, it's like a, a very quick preview of what we're going to be seeing next week. But there's some themes that we saw 
already that are going to kind of pop up again. First, we're going to see God's uh, people are worshiping him. God's people worship him. And then we're going to see the judgment that's coming upon the enemies of God. And so we'll see these two things uh, come up in chapter 15. Here we go. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also these who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps in their hand. So there's these seven angels, they've got these seven plagues or seven bowls, these judgments that are going to come. We'll see what it looks like next week. Uh, there's this sea of glass, this peaceful place, this throne, uh, and there's these conquerors, right? The multitude, those who, all those who would believe are there, and they're worshiping God. And uh, they, they're worshiping, and what I want to do as we look at how they worship is I want us to read this part that's in quotations together. This is the song of the Lamb. I want us to read it together, if you will. Uh, read it with me. Uh, this, is, this is the people of God. They're, they sing the song of Moses, and then they're going to sing the song of the Lamb. These are two songs of deliverance. Deliverance for Moses was from slavery to Egypt. Deliverance for us, deliverance for, uh, with the Lamb is deliverance, delivering sinners through Christ. And so we're going to read this together. Ready? Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the King, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the song of the Lamb that we've been delivered through Christ. We have a great hope in him. And what we see is uh, in this next part is like the judgment that's coming. We're not going to get into all of what the judgment looks like, but we'll see this in our sermon next week. Uh, And after this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses, witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in bright linen, pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So there's this pure, bright linen that the angels are wearing that basically says they're holy, they're pure, they're rich. Uh, There's this riches picture, this untarnished picture, because they're going to be delivering these judgments, these these bowls that we'll see next week. And then we see uh, there's this sanctuary that's filled with smoke. Just like in the Old Testament days, the sanctuary would be uh, filled with smoke and nobody could enter it there uh, for the glory and the power, the glory from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues, the plagues of the seven angels were finished. So there's this glory of God that's shining through in this picture. This glory of God that is going to be seen more fully uh, in the whole picture as we unwrap it. So uh, stick with us and you'll come and see uh, what that is next week. And so our big question with all of this is, what do you value? And it's not just like, what, what are your idealized values? Like, what might you write on a, a plaque and put uh, on a wall, right? But like, what do you really value? Do you really value worldly pleasures or do you really value righteousness? Do you really value gospel proclamation or do you really value comfort? Do you really value justice or do you really value sin? And so there's this 
this picture that uh, we're all on a side and indifference isn't an option for us. We don't get to just kind of uh, be indifferent about it. But as we eagerly await the return of Christ, uh, we have a great hope. And we get to place our great hope in him. We get to live for him. We get to suffer for him. We get to endure in a way that has eternal impact. And so as we gather together this week, as we gather together every week, uh, we try to do the same communion. And so what we do is we remember how much we are loved by our God through uh, taking the wine, which represents Jesus' blood, and taking the bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross, that he would give his life for us, that we could walk free, that we could be forgiven. And so uh, as we take this, uh, I pray that it would be meaningful. I pray that it would uh, mean more to us today as we think about all that Jesus endured uh, on our behalf so that we could be seen as righteous. Uh, So before we take communion, will you uh, pray? Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're perfect in all your ways. We thank you that you are just, that you're good, that you are righteous, and that you uh, are going to right every wrong. Lord, we thank you that uh, even in things that we can't comprehend or understand, Lord, uh, you are worthy of our worship. You're perfect. And we need to understand your love. We need to understand who you are and everything that you've done for us to really uh, comprehend your goodness, to really comprehend your grace that you've shown to us. So Lord, uh, we love you and we worship you and we pray uh, that you'd help us to remember all that you've done for us, not just today, uh, but each day as we worship you. We love you and we need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we take the communion together, um, if there's any sin that you'd like to confess, anything that's come up in you, uh, would you take these next 30 seconds to just confess quietly uh, where you are? you're good. We love you and we trust you. Would you be magnified? Would you help us to fix our eyes and our hearts on you? In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this is my body given for you. He would break his body on the cross so that we could be forgiven. You take the bread. that same night he took the wine he said this is the blood of the new covenant drink it Lord you're good you're gracious thank you for shedding your blood so that we could go free so that we could be forgiven help us live for you we need you in Jesus name amen Church, we are a people of great hope. Death has been arrested for us, that we have this great hope that we walk free. 
And, and my prayer for this passage as, as I looked at it, as I studied it this week, was that it would motivate us all the more to share the great hope that we have. That it would motivate us all the more to go as his witnesses and be a people who live righteous lives, who live holy lives, blameless before our God, and we run towards him instead of running to sin when we're suffering. My prayer that is that this passage would transform us, that instead of us running to comfort when things are uncomfortable because our situation is jacked up, that we'd be able to find opportunities within that to proclaim the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of the grace of God that has transformed our lives, church. My prayer is that we would run to him, that we would choose him instead of running to and flirting with sin. So church, would you go? Would you be a people transformed by the grace of God, transformed by the blood of Jesus to embody his love to a people who need that hope desperately, to a lost and dying world who desperately needs to hear about the hope of Jesus, that death can be arrested for them too that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for them. And we can plead and beg and make our case that Christ is enough. And we can see what God would do through us as we go and we have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.